This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. friends, welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. My name is Amy. I'm your host here at the Worth Recovery podcast. I'm also a sex and a food addict, and my sobriety date is December 2nd of 2012. So welcome back. This is episode 77, and I'm really excited today to be able to bring to you another preview of one of our speakers for our upcoming event in January. You guys, I'm getting so excited. It's just about six, maybe seven weeks away, six weeks, I think, six weeks away um, for our Worth Recovery event in January. This one's going to be in Salt Lake City, Utah, and we're using the theme Engaged in the Struggle because I don't know about you, but right now my life is a struggle and I constantly have new struggles that come up just when things think when just when I think things are going to get better or things kind of resolve in one area, I have a new struggle that comes up. And I think it takes a lot to stay engaged in that struggle. A lot of determination, a lot of help, a lot of hope, a lot of hope, a lot of hope, a lot of shame resilience, a lot of boundaries, a lot of healing. It takes a lot in order to stay engaged in that struggle of life, to accept life on life's terms and and enjoy it along the way, not just struggle all of the time. So I'm really excited about our upcoming event. Again, it's in January, January 21st. It's in Salt Lake City, Utah. And we have three amazing speakers that are going to be speaking. Just a few weeks ago, we highlighted one of those speakers, Candace Christiansen. She's going to be speaking on trauma and healing the trauma wound. And today, you're going to be able to hear from Lou Duke. Lou is trained not only as a CSAT therapist, and and I'll get into this later, but she's also trained in the Daring Way facilitation by Brene Brown. And so she's going to be speaking on shame resilience. Brene does a lot of work on shame, and um, Lou has a lot of ideas and thoughts on how we build shame resilience. And I'm excited. I'm so excited to be learning from her at our event, but also to just kind of bring you this preview. I spent a little bit of time with Lou and just thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. And so I'm excited to bring you that preview. Now, if you want to come to our event in January, you need to get online and register. You can do that on the website, www.worthrecovery.com. There's tickets still available. Early bird pricing is still available until December 21st. So that's a whole month out. And so for $99, this is a great Christmas gift, guys, girls, everybody. Um, For $99, you can come and learn from these three amazing therapists. Our third one is Jackie Pack, and we're going to be talking to her next week, and you'll be able to hear a little bit from her as well. So get online, get registered, and come. I'm so excited. There's going to be so many there and I'm just, and I'm just excited about meeting all of you and spending time with you and getting to know you and building support networks for each other and 
all of those amazing things. I don't know about you, but I pay about $120 for therapy, right? That's one session of therapy. So for less than one session of therapy, you get to hear from three therapists, three hours of therapy, amazing. Plus, I'm going to be speaking a little bit, and we're going to do some activities together. We're going to do tons of stuff. So get online, www.worthrecovery.com slash events, and that will get you directly to the page and be able to register. Before we jump into today's episode, I also just want to give a shout out to my Worth Warriors. You ladies continue to amaze me. Thank you so much for your time, for your dedication, for your contributions that help to keep this podcast free. I don't get paid for any of this, not for the events, not for the podcast, nothing that I do. So I appreciate so much that monthly contribution that helps me to maintain the website and host the podcast so that this remains free for all women in recovery and men, all women and men in recovery throughout the world. And we continue to grow. I'm just floored. Every time I look at statistics, I'm just amazed at how much we continue to grow. Not only in the United States, we have regular listeners in all 50 states, but internationally as well. Our number of countries, number of downloads internationally is just skyrocketed. And I'm so grateful to be able to be a voice for all of those of you out there who are working on your recovery. So thank you to my Worth Warriors who make that happen. Now, I don't want to waste any more time. Let's get straight into this interview with Lou Duke and uh, and be able to just learn from her and kind of preview what you're going to be participating in in January. Okay, here we go. Okay, so I am so excited to be sitting here in downtown Salt Lake with Lou Duke. Lou has a bachelor's and a master's in counseling from Arizona State University. She's licensed as a Utah clinical mental health counselor. She's also a certified sex addiction therapist and a certified Daring Way facilitator and consultant. And that's the work of Dr. Um, Brene Brown, the Daring Way methodology. I'm super excited because Lou is going to be one of our presenters at our event in January, on January 21st. And I specifically sought Lou out because of her experience with Brene Brown, because of her experience on shame resilience and and how important that is to the addiction community. So thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you so much for asking me. This is awesome. It's exciting. It is exciting. I'm just working on giving kind of everyone a taste of what our presenters are going to be talking about or who they are prior to our event in January. And I know for me, when I first came into recovery, when I first started this whole addiction experience and figuring things out for myself, I really struggled with feeling um, feelings of self-loathing, even I would say self-hatred even. Um, I didn't really think that I was worth anything, um, worth recovery, worth life, worth living, worth love, worth anything. It was something that I really, really struggled with. Is that something that you... See, do you feel like that's kind of a consistent experience with addicts when they come into recovery? Absolutely. It's I think it's one of the um, one of the hallmarks of recovery, early recovery, but it's also one of the things that leads into relapse. Is mm-hmm. that feeling like I'm not even worth recovery? Mm-hmm. And the fear of, you know, well what if people really find out who I am or what do I do or uh, some of those other things that just make us feel like we're just not good enough 
we're worth less than other people. And if those thoughts are devastating because we're born, we are wired for connection. We want to be validated and seen and accepted mm -hmm. by others and loved. And so this thought of I'm worth less than other people and if they know who I really am, they're not gonna love me and accept me is just, you know, that shame core that we sometimes pull upon. Yeah, I know that was really hard for me. I didn't want to even talk about what I had done. I didn't want to talk about anything like that. I just wanted to just be like, okay, it's done. Now this is my life. And and not even dig into any of it. I was so scared. Yeah, well, that, you know, that, that shame is I'm all alone. You know, I feel terrible. You know, maybe I hate myself, but it's... I don't know that anybody else feels this way. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's just me. And so that creates the distance. It's, you know, working the steps and being willing to share your story with people that are worthy of hearing your story, that are gonna honor and respect it, that that's when you start being validated. That's when people, you know, if you have someone in your life that's non-judgmental and can sit with you mm -hmm. as you go through um, some of the shame and some of the pain of recovery, that's what's validating. And to feel that acceptance helps us to feel like, well, maybe we are worth something. Yeah. You know? And that I can be okay. Yeah. I am okay. Yeah. What, what do you feel like maybe are some of those things that, I mean, we've talked about shame and our acting out behaviors, but for a lot of the women I've worked with, that shame or that feeling of feeling alone or different or unworthy started way before they started acting out. What are, what are some of those things that cause that type of feeling for us? Um, what I find is, like you said, it starts in early childhood. And I recently read a, I'm always reading, a little thing by somebody and they were talking about shame as empathy gone awry mm. with the idea that as a child if you went to a primary caregiver and you were sad or upset or something like that they weren't able to empathize with that feeling that you were experiencing and so they discounted it they told you to get over it to move on you know it's not that bad so they discounted even your experience of it and you know what's wrong with you and the, so those messages sort of get com compounded as to, well, I must not know what I'm talking about or I must not really understand what I'm feeling. And I want and need the acceptance of this primary caregiver because, you know, mm -hmm. we are so dependent on them, you know, for our, um, our very life in a sense, as, as far as safety, hopefully, and food and nourishment and nurturing. And so we want that connection with them. So when that empathy has gone awry, we're real quick to take the blame for that. Yeah, I, I love that. I'm, I'm just like making all these connections in my head as you're talking about that because I know I've done that. Like um, a child comes to me or I was teaching, I can think of a specific instance where a student came to me to confide in me about something when I was teaching high school and I, 
I just, I didn't know how to help them. I didn't know what to do. And not only that, I didn't want to like sit in that feeling for very long. Mm -hmm. And so I just was like, you know what? It's okay. You can get over this. It's not that big of a deal. Like brush it off, blow it off and didn't really maybe provide enough empathy for them Mm -hmm. to be able to work through that. Yeah, I don't. Okay, well, I don't want to cause any <laughs> no, shame or no, guilt here. No, I, I don't feel shame or guilt. I just, I love that definition because that's that's something that, like you know, that's something I can work with. That's okay. something I can change. Well, or... and we all, you know, none of us are one hundred percent empathetic all the time. Right. You know, we're in a hurry. Things are going on, and so, you know, sometimes we do shame or we discount mm-hmm. other people's in what they're experiencing. But it's that continual, constant uh, shaming or lack of empathy that a child receives from a particular person, Mm -hmm. that that's what really creates the shame core. Yeah. Okay. We all experience shame. Right. But that constant uh, uh, shame core is what is through the consistency. Mm Mm-hmm. Through the continual having that that experience re- repeated, right, over and over again, right, yeah, with a specific person, yeah, or persons. So how you know what's what are some of the things that we do to start breaking through that to start finding our worth? Okay, what I do with every client that I I see in recovery and even those that maybe aren't in recovery is I have them do a values clarification. Okay, what is really truly important to them? It can be, um, I have a little worksheet that I give them and I have them circle all the ones that are important and then I have them go back and identify the top five. Mm -hmm. Now the trick to this is that it can't be what's important to other people that you should be doing or you should have, you know, as your top values. Right. I hate the word should. Yeah. I I just totally hate it. So I totally get that. The idea that it's got to be really me not necessarily what others think I should want mm-hmm. to be about val- or, or what others think should be important to me or things like that yeah and I refer to those as aspirational values aspirational okay. aspirational yeah they are they're great they're really really good and maybe they are things that I aspire to like if I wanted to um, to be a runner I aspire to have wonderful fantastic health mm-hmm. and I'm going to do that by running it's not going to work okay. it sounds good looks really good I'm not a runner <laughs> and I don't see that changing okay so uh that would be maybe a aspirational delusional value for me mm. but the aspirational values sometimes you can pick up on them when people say well you know you really should be doing this and that's probably more of a, of a reflection of what's important to them. Mm-hmm. And you may or may not think it's important or not as important to you as to them. Right. And so, uh, as many of us do, we go, oh, okay. And then we're upset and angry and we want to kick ourselves for saying yes instead of no. Right. And it's also kind of a boundary thing. Mm-hmm. Um. There, for me, growing up, education and knowledge was a very strong value in my household. I didn't really buy into it. <laughs> you know, I was going to school, it was fine, but wasn't really interested. Mm-hmm. And it was um, when I was invited to leave the university that I was attending 
and I could return when I was wanting to study. Oh, yeah. 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 So <laughs> aspirational value. Fast forward about eight years, I realized that um, I had little children at home, and if I needed to uh, provide for themselves, for me, excuse me, and them, I had to have some sort of education or skills or something. Mm -hmm. So that aspirational value turned into a core value. It was something I wanted, it came from within me, and it was very important to me to attain. Yeah. So they can, aspirational values can become core values for you. Mm -hmm. But just because somebody tells you it should be, it's not, it isn't gonna work. Right, not gonna cut it. No. <laughs> it's not gonna give you enough motivation or enough drive to actually make that a priority. Right. To actually prioritize or make that important to you. And you know what your core values are when you can be involved in something that you're excited about. There's an emotional component to it. You're excited about it. You love doing it. Um, you you think about it. You think in, about it in positive terms. You're not ashamed of it in any way, shape, or form. And um, and you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Can we do that list again? Okay. So, because I I just think that there were so many great things there. We know it's a core value, and it's really important to us when. When it has an, uh, an emotional component, okay. you're excited about so we're it. You're excited about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. You love it. You uh, you know about it. You think about it. It has a cognitive component to it. Okay. And which means, and this can probably go into the emotional also, you're not ashamed about it. You know, you right. want it. In fact, you sort of become uh, a pusher. You know, you want, you're the one telling people that they should do this. <laughs> Okay, and then you actually act on it. You do it. People can see it. Then they know that this is something important okay. to you. So I let's, love that list. Let's try something real quick. Sure. And people that are listening can do this also if they want. Okay. But I want you to go into your purse or your wallet. Okay. Here's and, my purse. Okay. And I want you to find something that is really important to you something in my purse that is really important to or me. Or your wallet, either one. Okay, let's see what I can find in my purse. Well, let's try my wallet. I'm like, what's well, really important to me in here? Um, yeah, I'm struggling. Okay, well, I have in my purse, <laughs> I don't know if this works, <laughs> but in my purse I have my charger for my laptop, okay? okay? And my laptop runs my world. I do all my podcast recording on it, I keep my schedule, I communicate, my website, I mean everything. If I lost this, I, I would be up a creek. And it's that's important to me. And I carry my charger, I have two chargers and I carry one in my purse in case I ever get stuck. Okay, and that's the thing is when you, we carry things that are important to us. Mm -hmm. that have meaning to us. And this means communication. It's your work, which you love, you're excited about, you want to share with people, and you do it. Mm -hmm. And the, the recovery work that you do and provide or help others in. Yeah. So that's a huge value for you is your work and in helping others. 
And what would you add to that? What value do you pull out of that? Um, well, both of those. My work is important to me. Communication okay. is important to me. Um, helping others, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. I wanting wanting other women to be able to experience a supportive community like mm-hmm. I did when I started recovery and, and helping them to, to move forward. So I think all those things, I think you hit it. Okay. Yeah. And so that's, you know, you, you look at those three things, the emotional, the cognitive, and the behavioral, particularly mm-hmm. the behavioral. That's what you look at because that's what other people see. Right. And that's how you determine. A lot of people will pull, the, pull their phone out mm. and they'll say, oh, my phone's my imp- most important thing because I communicate and it has my calendar on it and all this other stuff. And so those are the things that you look at, you think, oh my gosh, are these the things that are really important to me in my life? To be able to communicate, to be able to stay organized, to be able to reach out to other people. That this is, you know, these are the things that, that guide my life. Mm-hmm. So that's how you sort of identify those values that you live by. Yeah. I remember a few years ago, this was probably seven or eight years ago, I did a leadership type training experience where they had us like outline our day, you know, hour by hour what mm-hmm. we did, and then calculate like the percentage of time of our week that we spent on those things. And I remember that was my first kind of wake up call for me. Like, um, I spend, I think, I don't remember the percentage, but it was like, it was a competing, the amount of time I spent watching TV and the amount of time I spent, you know, doing like work or something was like similar. And I thought, what am I doing with my life that I'm spending so much time, you know, on TV. But I think like that, that really helped me to change, really think about those things and like the behavioral aspect that you're saying, like what we actually do is really what defines what those values are, whether we say them or whether we do them, mm-hmm. it can be a really different experience for people, what they yeah. say and what they actually do. And that is so strong because what happens is we say, okay, this is my value, but this is what I'm doing. If they're congruent, life is good. But if I look and say, okay, this is what I value or I believe, but I'm doing this, then it creates what they call cognitive dissonance within us. It's a very, we feel uneasy, things feel off. We don't feel like, you know, we're being honest maybe in some cases. And what happens is we look at our value and we look at our behavior and one of them goes away. And I see this particularly with recovery. People will say, well, recovery is really important to me, but look what I'm doing over here. Maybe my recovery is not that important. Mm. And they continue with the behavior. Or they say, this is my recovery is really, really important to me, and I'll do whatever it takes. Then I'm going to move my behavior to match my belief. Yeah. I love that idea of cognitive dissonance. Like, because I think... I acted out for so many years and knowing that what I said I valued and my behavior did not match. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, basically I came to the conclusion that what I valued wasn't real, like mm-hmm. that I didn't have any value, that I couldn't change my behavior. I couldn't, I couldn't live up to those aspirations that I had. And so mm-hmm. I just let my own personal value and worth be the thing that sunk. Right. Mm-hmm. And just let my kind of addiction take over. Mm-hmm. 
Well, which is why it's so important to know what your core belief is. Because when you become confronted with something, you know, what kind of decision should I make here? You go to your core belief and you say, okay, this is what I say I believe. Is this behavior something I want to do? And then you make a conscious choice over what it is that you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, Walt Disney's brother Roy says, and I'm sort of paraphrasing, I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to get this exactly right okay. or not. But it's easy to make a decision what you know what your values are. You know, I have clients sometimes that come in and they'll say, you know, this is what's going on in my life and I don't know what to do. And I'll always say, what are your values? What are those things that you've identified? And with this problem that you're experiencing now, according to those values, what's your decision? Hmm. And it helps to really clarify and clear up, you know, some of the fuzziness around mm -hmm. some of the decisions most of the time. Yeah. Okay, so earlier you said, like, you have a worksheet, and they circle the wands, and you talk about them being their aspirational values, right? The things that they that they want, and they narrow it down to five. Is there a reason you choose five? Is there, like, how, how do you narrow that down? And then how do we use those five values to help us move on? Okay. The, um, the worksheet, they can, it just has a lot of different words on it, different mm -hmm. values on it. And they might be aspirational, but they could be core values too. Okay. The idea is that when you narrow it down to the five, that you have, hopefully you move from aspirational to core. Got it. And it could be three, it mm -hmm. could be six, but it's, it's to help people really narrow their choices down to identify what's uh, mm -hmm. important. And I even do a little bit of further um, work with them to, to try to see, okay, for today, what would be number one? One of the things uh. that's interesting is because they do fluctuate a little bit. Mm -hmm. The core values are pretty core, but what's number one on my list today may not be tomorrow. And it's interesting because some people will come in and health will be on their top five. Most of them don't put that. Except what happens on the day that they get sick. <laughs> there it is. It wasn't even on the list. And right. now it's number one. Uh -huh. So, you know, some of them move around a little bit. Yeah. And it's, it's just being really aware of, you know, what really truly is important to you. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff out there. And a lot of advertising that's very persuasive. Yes. And we, and we, unfortunately, it, myself included, buy into it all the time. Well, if I buy that pair of shoes, people will like me more. Mm -hmm. You know how ridiculous. <laughs> I know. But, you but know, I've, I'm a victim of that. <laughs> I do that too. <laughs> so I can be. I can do that for sure. We started kind of talking about worth. How how do these how do these identified values these core values help us to get, dispel that shame core and help us to feel more worth or more value. Okay. The thing that I really like about values is they're not right or wrong, good or bad. They're all, you know, they're all good and they all serve a purpose. Mm -hmm. And when we can accept that these are my core values, this is what's really important to me, and I'm acting congruently with them, I don't have that dissonance going on, 
mm-hmm. that makes me you know question and doubt myself and I also um, am able to extend that to others so other people don't become good or bad right or wrong their values are just a little different than mine are or the priority of that value is higher or lower than mine is Mm -hmm. and so it makes me not only more tolerant and accepting of myself but of others yeah I like that a lot just the idea that when my dissonance is gone then I I don't feel so um, dissonant with other people Right. Like I don't feel so at odds or competing with other people. Well, and the dissonance also creates shame. Right. You know, if this is what I believe, but this is what I'm doing, you know, are there people seeing that, you know, and am I, you know, am I being bad or am I messing up or, you know, are they going to judge me? Mm -hmm. So by being as congruent as we can be, it takes away a lot of that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing with us today. I am super excited about you coming in January and <laughs> speaking, I know, to all of our listeners and being able to share more share more about this topic. Any last thoughts you have for our listeners here at Worth Recovery? Um, probably just the idea that um, a big part of recovery is being able to, to show up. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you start working a wonderful program, you're doing really, really well, but the shame interferes with the ability to show up and to be able to um, build a community, which you're doing such an incredibly wonderful job well, of, thank you. of, you know, giving women a, a safe place to be able to show up and to share their story and to connect. Uh, Johan Hari was saying that mm-hmm. The opposite of uh, addiction isn't recovery, it's connection. Mm -hmm. And how healing and how wonderful and how powerful that is. So what I would like to say is they should. (laughs) (laughs) No shooting. We don't shoot on each other No. Okay. No, but the idea of um, of valuing yourself Mm -hmm. to give yourself the gift of recovery Mm -hmm. and for yourself and for other people, the um, the practice of being vulnerable to show up. Yeah. How powerful that is for the individual and those that benefit from it. Yeah, absolutely. I find that one of the things that I truly believe is that every time I share my story or every time I hear someone else share part of their story, that mm-hmm. I heal a little bit more. Yeah. Like I think there's just so much power in showing up and and showing showing everything that you have and having someone still put their arm around you and say I love you it's okay like mm-hmm. you're not alone in this there's no shame in what you've what you've done and and we can change yeah 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 thanks thanks thank again. you yeah as always ladies I hope you remember that no matter what is going on in your life no matter how far you think you've gone no matter how you feel in this very moment whether shame has overcome you you are worth recovery 100% worth it and I know that keep up the fight 
Don't forget, you can support Worth Recovery by being a Worth Warrior. If this podcast has helped you even a little bit, if you think it's worth 50 cents, get online and join the movement. All the details are on the website, worthrecovery.com. Also, don't forget to register for our event in January, January 21st, Engaged in the Struggle. All that information is online as well. Remember, my friends, I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.